Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everybody, welcome back to Life on the Bubble. I am uh, graciously stepping in for Andy here as the wingman with, with Coach Seth Greenberg. Coach, we've got a Final Four now. FAU playing San Diego State. And then we've got Miami who knocked off my Texas Longhorns playing the Yukon Huskies. Four seed, two five seeds, and a nine seed. What are your thoughts about the remaining four and uh, the lack of any one, two, or three seeds in this tournament? Not only are there no one, two, or three seeds, but there's no McDonald's All-Americans and no one and dones in this tournament, which is really interesting because we spend all our time obsessing about one and dones. We spend all the time obsessing about McDonald's All-Americans, and we've got four really good teams, four teams that have earned it, and four very, very different teams. And uh, you know, we're going to have Shaka Smart visit us in a short while, but he's going to be able to give some insight into FAU and their journey to get to where they are. I mean, when he was at VCU, he had a similar type run into the Final Four. But look, I mean, each of these teams are different. Let's face it. UConn has been the most dominant team in the NCAA tournament, winning by an average of 22 and a half points. You know, there have been a team that literally could beat you in a half court. They could beat you in transition. They can beat you on the glass. They can beat you in the post. They can beat you by shooting a three. And defensively, they pressure the basketball. They keep you out of the lane. They protect the front of the rim. They've been absolutely dominant. And you know, the one guy that we don't talk enough about is Andre Jackson, who's probably maybe one of the most unique players left in the tournament. Then you've got Miami, who came back from down 13. Sorry. Take a deep breath. Meditation, I strongly suggest. But, I mean, they came back in that game because of their poise. They yep. came back in that game because of their ability. And it's, it sounds silly, but when Norman O'Cheer, uh, Norchad O'Meara got in foul trouble and had to go out with four fouls, Miami had to go small. Yeah. And when, they get, got, when they went small, they got up and under Texas a little bit. They sped Texas up a little bit. Texas got a little one-on-one. And ISO-oriented than the other end. Isaiah Wong had more space to play in. He was more aggressive. And then the Swiss Army knife, known as obviously Jordan Miller, was a big difference maker. Uh, at the end Perfect. of the game, I was disappointed in Texas a little bit. I thought that you know that last possession, Marcus Carr could have pulled it back and posted up Timmy Allen. They missed that matchup, but you got to give you got to give credit to Miami and their poise and their perseverance and their resilience. Yeah, I mean they scored fifty-one points in that second half and didn't hit a three-pointer. Um, and and yeah, because Texas yeah. stopped guarding. I mean, Texas right. stopped guarding, Alex. I mean, like, Texas's calling card was defense, getting stops, being physical, rebounding the ball and getting out and playing ahead of the defense. And they they just stopped being committed. I remember coming out of one of the timeouts, uh, one of the reporters asked, could listen in to Roddy Terry talk about the message to his team. And his message to his team was, get stops, sit in a stance, we'll get through this, but we got to guard. And they, they stopped guarding. A lot of had had to do with though what Miami did offensively. Yeah. I mean, clearly their identity was all over. <laughs> An imprint. I mean, they scored 80-plus. And there was a game that Texas played against Kansas State in the regular season. I think one of the, the first games that Rodney coached where they lost, you know, 100 and something to a – they both put up 100-plus points. And that was against Texas's identity. Although I, I, I would like to get your thoughts. Um, They, they kind of verbally have – offered Rodney the the head coaching job here and what do you think about that because I, I feel like just as a Texas alum and Texas fan that's it's a great fit and what he did this season was tremendous and deserves yeah, a lot of it. praise yeah 
It wasn't given to him. He earned it. He earned it by his ability to navigate the situation in which he became the interim head coach. He earned it in the manner in which he earned the trust of his players. He earned it in the manner in which the players played for him. The guy is a big-time recruiter. He loves Texas. He left a head coaching position to come home in a lot of ways. And I think he's going to do a great job. There'll be potholes. There'll be road roadblocks. There'll be detours. Every coach has them. And he'll, you know, those, those detours will be under a microscope, but I think they made the right decision. I think he earned it. I think that uh, I'm excited about the future for Roddy. For these three of these teams have never been to the final four, right? Um, A mountain West team. Andy should be the one here to talk about this, but has never been to the final four. What, Explain the significance of that um, real quickly here, and then and then we'll jump in with Shaka. Yeah, I would say a Mountain West team until they become a Pac-12 team, probably. Uh, San Diego right. State. But look, I mean, Dutch has done a great job. They play so stinking hard. They're so physical. They rebound the ball. They got five transfers, three of them huge impacts. Uh, they get those guys to buy in. They know exactly who they are. They know their identity. Uh, they stay true to it. You can see they have a maturity. Uh, look, th- this this tournament's been about the transfer portal. Two kids at Miami, Vladislav uh, Golden at FAU, obviously the San Diego State transfers. Uh, and then, you know, uh, Tristan Newton from, and uh, Naheem Aline and Diara from, from Connecticut. So I love the San Diego State team. I'm so impressed with how hard they play, how tough they are, uh, and more importantly, how individually they know who they are and how they win. And then collectively, they know who they are and how they win. Amazing. Thanks, Coach. All right, now we're going to kick it off to your interview with the head coach of the Marquette Golden Eagles, Shaka Smart. So I will let you go ahead with that. Hey, coach Smart, what is going on, man? What's up, man? It's good to see you. Good to see you. I like the beard. It looks good. Very distinguished. Well, you know, when the season gets done, there's always this mini depression. And... Uh, <laughs> Part of it is like not shaving for a little while. I can understand. See, I'm undefeated for 11 years. So, you know, I get a little miserable when practice starts because I miss practice. But I don't get as miserable as I was when I was coaching when the season ended and I could think of everything that I would have done differently that I didn't do differently or things that I obsessed about that I probably should have just fight, flee, or flow, just kind of flowed and got on to the next play. So uh, I can I can surely relate, but let's talk about your season first. There, what an amazing run and what an amazing fun team to watch. When you when you get past the the disappointment, what's the first word that comes to your mind when you think about this group? Relationships, just you know how close our guys are and uh, the way they feel about one another. Uh, I told somebody the other day. We set a school record for uh, wins at Marquette, and that's because we set a school rec- record for how much these guys cared about each other. And uh, that's the special thing about this team. Did you see like uh, this group? You didn't go into the portal. You coached your guys. Uh, you developed your guys. You got your guys to love each other and trust each other. Going into last, last spring, when everyone was losing their mind about the portal, what did you see in this team that you said, I'll play these, I'll play these cards? Uh, again, the way that our guys feel about one another, um, you know, they really 
you could see we were doing these little workouts last April, two man, four man, six man, eight man uh, workouts. And, and you could just see the connectivity, the way the guys were enjoying being together. Um, and then just a little bit of a, I guess, a leap of faith, believing that a guy that maybe was our 10th man last year, you know, played six, eight minutes a game could now become, you know, the fifth or sixth man. And, you know, it's interesting because every college basketball program, every NBA team, probably every high school team, they all beat their chest about player development. And, you know, we're, we're the best, you know, we develop players and, you know, I'm kind of like you, I've always thought that, well, nobody really has a corner on that market. I mean, we all try hard to get yeah. our players better and we do our workouts. It's not like we're doing more workouts than other. I mean, everyone has hardworking guys. Um, but I, I thought that, hey, if we're going to beat our chest about player development, which in my opinion is really personal development, then we've got to have a willingness to bet on our development of these guys. And uh, that's why we didn't really – you know, go, go too crazy with recruiting transfers. That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. That really is. Uh, you've been in the shoes in a lot of ways that Dusty May is in right now. You know, from a team that got into the tournament, now they, they, they won their conference tournament, to the Final Four, where everyone doubted them every step of the way. Everyone probably doubted your VCU team every step of the way. If you had one bit of advice for Dusty, I guess first and foremost, just overall, what 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 would you say to him about the next this this coming week? Well, I the biggest piece of advice would be keep doing what you're doing, yeah. Because which that sounds simple, but it's really really hard going into the Final Four because everyone else around you acts differently. So for you to be the same as you've been is a, a heck of a challenge. You know, I remember for us, we won the regional final on a Sunday. We were in San Antonio. And the way the NCAA travel works, because charters are not easy, you don't necessarily just leave the game and go right home. Sometimes it's a three, four, five-hour wait. So we didn't end up getting home until 2 in the morning. And then when we got back to VCU, uh, they said, hey, make sure you guys pop in the gym. There's some folks in there waiting to welcome you back. And we went into the our arena, the Siegel Center, and it was packed to the rafters, 8,000 people for a 2 a.m. impromptu pep rally. And the biggest thing I would change if I could go back, and this is kind of a long-winded answer, but is – Guys, we've got to go about things in the same way that we have leading up to this point. I don't know that our guys slept one wink during that week that we were home. Um, I, I, you know, it was just really, really tough for them to follow a routine. So Florida Atlantic's been awesome. You know, if they can stay with what they've been doing, I, I like their chances. Yeah, you are your habits. You know, and when you break routine, obviously, you know, then all of a sudden you lose the essence of who you are. Now, the essence of who they are, it's different than Havoc was, you know, for you. But in a way, it, it isn't in that their ability to change ends, go from defense, good pressure on the ball, extend, really interchangeable, one through four. Uh, 
But their ability to create havoc in transition where anyone can initiate their transition game. How much of an advantage is that? Because I thought it was an advantage when they were playing those bigger teams like Tennessee that, that had a hard time in transition getting matched up. So now the ball was flying up the floor. It was hard getting matched up. Then all of a sudden it was boom, boom, penetration, kick one more, and they were getting pretty good shots. Uh, well, you know, just you, because, you know, you played so many different styles. You played against teams like that. How much, we, how much of an advantage? Because your VCU team also had bigs that could step out and make shots. Uh, yes. How much of an advantage is that? And how hard is that to prepare for to play against? It's a huge advantage. And I think on a couple levels, number one, in transition, it can be confusing when you have someone with size that's got the ball in his hands. That's a playmaker. And yeah. as you know, I mean, this is where basketball is going yeah. is any of the five guys on the floor being able to initiate offense, being able to create action, being able to be the quote unquote trigger guy uh, for his team. So that's a huge advantage. But um, I think the second thing is it leads to unbelievable confidence on the part of your team because you know you have options and you know that different guys can create. And when you get in an NCAA tournament setting where you have, you know, in this case, a handful of days to scout and prepare. Uh, but in, this, in the case of the second game, you know, if they're able yeah. to advance less than two days to prepare, it's, it, you know, it gives you confidence. Like, hey, they can't take away all the things that we do. And it's going to be tough for them to prepare with one practice or a couple practices for this. But I'll tell you what, I believe, you know, just watching them and, and you know, I think a lot of the best mid-major or, you know, under teams that make deep runs in the tournament have this way more important than their defensive or their offensive advantages is their cultural advantages, which is how they act, interact, and respond as a group together is championship level. And they've done it all year long. And, um, you know, that's, like you said, that's become a habit. So it's not like they're going to change that. All right, last one, X. I know you have meetings. Uh, UConn, you know, you played them, you beat them. Uh, What what do you – do you see a difference in them – since the Big East tournament, do you see um, a, a focus or like to me, Andre Jackson is one of the keys to me because I, I think he's playing to his strengths. He's not trying to do what he can't do, which makes him one of the most unique players on the court. But what do you see in this UConn team? You know, you know him better than anyone. Uh, what do you see in them and in terms of how they're playing now in this moment in time? Well, as you know, they played so well for the first, what, 14, 15 games of the season. They went through a tough stretch, uh, you know, somewhere in conference play there. And then they regained it and were playing really, really well heading into the Big East tournament. And, you know, we were fortunate to kind of make the last shot in the, uh, you know, in the Big East tournament. They, they, they missed one at the buzzer. Uh, but you hit the nail on the head. Andre Jackson is such a a pivotal piece for them. They have two special offensive players in Sonogo and Hawkins. I mean, special players. I I voted for both of them for first team all conference, and I didn't even think it was close. But when you have Andre Jackson as a playmaker and an athlete playing with 
unbelievable confidence like he is right now, really, really tough to beat. And if someone's going to beat them on Saturday or Monday, they're going to have to find a way to lessen or take away that confidence. Uh, Xavier was able to go to UConn this year and beat them by, you know, it was it got close, but it was a wide margin for a while. And they didn't guard Jackson. Um, the way we played them was different. We we guarded. I mean, we, we 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 said, hey man, this guy probably his whole life has not been guarded. But whatever you do, you cannot allow him to play with great confidence and great aggressiveness because he is a real problem. I lost you there for a second. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. So, so you, so you didn't guard him. I mean, you guarded. You got. You got and tried to make make plays. Like I was interested that Gonzaga went by the way of Xavier, and they they didn't guard him. But he's become a really good cutter, right? He's a terrific cutter, and he's a terrific passer. Yeah. You know, I I, I think coach. He's going to play in the NBA for a long time because, you know, everyone gets caught up in shooting. But if you think about this, world-class athlete, tremendous passer, tremendous ball handler, and like you said, he can really cut and move. I mean, there's guys in the NBA yeah. like that. Oh, you know, yeah, to, no doubt. To me, he's a little bit better version of Bruce Brown. Now, Bruce and Brown bigger. is, yeah, bigger. Bruce Brown's kicking butt in the NBA. Um, But again, if you look at the trajectory of their season, when he's played with great confidence, they don't normally lose. We were fortunate in the Big East tournament that he got in foul trouble. He got two fouls in the first half, about midway through the half, had to come out. And then the second half, he picked up his third foul relatively early. So he never really was able to get in a rhythm. But it's like anyone else. If you deal with a team and they have three special players, Sonogo, Hawkins, Jackson, and then the other guys are making shots and chipping in, tough yeah. to beat. Yeah, they are. Uh, I think they're a well-put-together team, whether it's Caravan, whether it's the guys that come off the bench. Uh, but it's great for the Big East. Your league was so good, man. Like, they didn't lose a game outside of the Big East all season. They nope. didn't lose a game outside of the Big East. What is it? You know, they 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 run through the tournament. They got the Alabama win. They got the Iowa State win. I mean, that's how good they were. Yet when they got into league play, and we know there's no secrets in league play, and you, you have a better understanding of what you're going to give, what you're going to take away. But they were that's they they ran the roadblocks, and that was just how good the leagues is. And I have a feeling that guy in Jamaica Queens <laughs> is going to make it even better. Well, not only that. Ed made the move Amen. to Georgia. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, we don't get a lot of love on ESPN for obvious reasons. But, man, I'll tell you, having been a coach in a bunch of different leagues as an assistant coach and as a head coach, there's something special about this Big East where when there is a men's basketball game, it really matters. Like, it yeah. is everything to that school and those folks – on that campus. And it doesn't matter whether you're at Providence or Villanova or Seton Hall 
or Georgetown. It matters. And as a guy who played Division three basketball, I'm grateful to just be part of it. No, no, and I hope eventually we get the Big East back. Cause, uh, I talk about it. That, that's just me. I grew up in the Big East. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I think I'm a little bit part of the fabric of it. But, hey, congratulations, man. I'm happy for you. You, you, you know, your family's good, and you, you're enjoying Milwaukee and closer to home and all those good things. But what a great year, and I and really do appreciate it. I know this is a time that you want to kind of have those individual meetings with you guys and, and, and you know, kind of create a vision of where you're going now again. So appreciate your time, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, bud. Thanks, Jack. Well, Coach, that was a fantastic interview with Shaka. It was, it was great hearing the two of y'all talk about the remaining teams in the tournament and obviously the great work that he's done with Marquette in the Big East. Um, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what it's like establishing the foundation of a program um, as you did when you joined as an assistant in the 83-84 season at Miami after the team at the U, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, just rub it in, why don't you? Um, it was, <laughs> they, beat, they beat my horns, and I just can't get over it. I, and it won't, I, I won't get over it for a long time. But the team, or the, the, the university dissolved the program in 71. Is that right? And then you all yeah. brought it back as an assistant. You were, you were coaching for the team. And what was it like before the, the guys even got on the court and how you all had discussed you know, what the program was going to represent and the type of players that y'all were going to recruit and bring in there and how y'all were going to coach them and establish an identity. The biggest thing you got to understand now is we took it up, took over the program. Bill Foster was the head coach. I came right. from the university of Virginia, uh, as kind of like a, uh, graduate assistant or whatever. Uh, we didn't have a player. We didn't have a basketball. We didn't have a place to practice. We didn't have stationary. We didn't have practice gear. It was the greatest lesson for a young coach is that, that you basically started from scratch. That's what you're doing. And so you had a blank slate. Bill Foster was a great program belter. He did the same thing at Charlotte, University of Charlotte, which at that point was UNCC. Um, great teacher uh, and a great visionary in a lot of ways. Uh, so we came and, and we tried to, you know, I was first thing foremost to try to do is recruit some players. We got Timmy Harvey from Georgia Tech. We got found a guy in Washington named Kevin Presto. Uh, Dennis Burns, a, a kid that was not recruited as heavily probably as he should from New Jersey. So that first year, we didn't play any games. We called, we, we, we practiced with those guys, individual workouts. Tim Dawson transferred from George Washington, who's now a very successful educator and has a law degree. And we had those four guys. And then we had F Troop. F Troop was the walk-ons from campus. We had an open tryout on campus on the outdoor courts next to the swimming pool. Uh, we found a lot of some of those guys from a three-on-three tournament we had right in that same little quad area. Uh, we just tried to create a vision of what we were like. We played our games in the James L. Knight Center the following year, which was a theater. And that first year, we beat Georgia, which was a really good team, which was an amazing accomplishment. We put, we were an independent. We played all. We were everyone's guarantee game. We played all over the country. Uh, How many games did you play? We played a normal full schedule. I think it was twenty-seven. Uh, you know, we had some good wins and we had some good players. We recruited a local player named Brian Hughes, who was a good guard that next year, who was a freshman. We started at four freshmen and some transfers. Um, it was, it was a fun time. We were able to build the James L. Knight practice facility, which now is, I think, a volleyball practice facility, which, which was connected to the football weight room, which now obviously doesn't exist because they have this monstrosity of a building. 
they went from there to building the Washington Center, which gave them a home court, which was huge. Leonard Hamilton did a, an absolutely incredible job there. But Jim Laranagas taking it to another level. And uh, it's kind of fun for me to watch. Uh, I remember we had 25 people. I think they put fifty dollars or $100,000 in. They were called the founders. They're the ones that brought the basketball program back. We went from an independent to the Big East to the ACC, or, you know, Miami did. Uh, there were a time that people didn't care, then people cared again. We had a great, um, I guess, entree and brand because of the great success the football season team was having. You know, it was Howard Schnellenberger, and then it was, you know, obviously Jimmy Johnson did a great job there. I mean, you had great coach after great coach after great coach, great players playing. The funniest thing about the practice facility is uh, we built a new practice facility, James O'Neill practice facility, uh, had all our offices in there. It was nice, but it was connected to the football weight room. And I still remember the first day the thing is open. The first day the thing is open. We're getting ready to go down and practice. And I look out the window down on the court, and I was with Coach Foster, and Jerome Brown was dunking the ball and doing a chin-up on – our new baskets that had never been christened even. <laughs> and Coach Foster about lost his mind, you know, but uh, it, it was fun. It was, it was a really cool time. It was just during that Miami Vice time. So you had a, you know, like Miami had a begin, started to have a little bit of a different vibe. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like we were living on South Beach. It wasn't like our, our players were. But then, you know, like one year in, we got Tito Harford. Tito, you know, Al Harford's dad. Yep. He came over from LSU. Uh, and then we, we ended up more playing David Robinson, who, you know, the, the Admiral and Tito Hofford, two best young big guys. And, you know, we played in some big time games and uh, it was a great experience. But, uh, you know, I think all, everyone that was involved in that program back then is really excited for the university. The university's grown so much. It's changed so much. I walked around, I did a game this year. I did the Virginia Miami game and I didn't even recognize the university. You know, I, I literally didn't recognize the university. Uh, so much has gone and it's grown so much. It's obviously a world-class medical center and uh, a big time, you know, private university that is uh, really a, a very special place. So it's pretty cool. They're in the final four. Jim Laranagan and I worked together at University of Virginia. There you go. Uh, which is cool. He loved the A-team. I used to call him Murdoch because he was like, that was his show. I mean, he because you know, he was a little, you know, he's a little nutty. But boy, he's coaching his tail off and he's done a great job at George Mason. And, he, you know, he's a whole fame coach. Just plain well, and simple. You mentioned before you got on with Shaka that, you know, there, there are no lottery guys playing anymore, but Isaiah Wong is a tremendous player. And I think, you know, I, I might be as bold to say that he might have moved himself into a, a late first round pick from the play that he's displayed in this tournament I mean, second way- half he was great i think jordan mills can play in the nba he's like a swiss army knife and north chad omir just gobbles up rebounds like pac-man that dude is a ferocious physical physical rebound well miller the first guy to go perfect from the floor and perfect from the free yep. throw line with more than seven attempts since leitner um alex you, know, you are on top of it baby you're on you top like of that it, baby. you like that yeah yeah I like, I like that i don't know cats is overrated right now oh no andy's pretty good and he's very good. <laughs> but uh, but wow. thanks, Coach. And, and yeah, we, uh, we're excited to get this out so people can hear about the early days at Miami. 